We are in a new sermon series, and we are studying the 15th chapter in the Gospel of John. We're going to spend the next several weeks studying just one chapter of the Scriptures. And this is a passage of Scripture where Jesus is teaching His disciples on spiritual growth, and how they can grow as disciples, how they can experience a fuller, more abundant life in God. And so He knows, Jesus knows, He's about to die. And He's about to entrust the mission of His church... The, the message of his resurrection, he's about to entrust all of his teachings into these 12 men, and he's telling them how they can bear fruit, how they can produce something of worth as they go into the world after he ascends to the Father. And he's telling them how they can experience a fuller, more abundant life in God. And this is what he, Jesus says in John chapter 15. We're going to read uh, 11 verses this week. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you. Why? Jesus tells them. So that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, in this passage, I love it. Jesus gives us so many images I love that Jesus uh, is such a storyteller and he uses analogy and metaphor to explain his point in parables all the time. But right here in this passage, he uses an unbelievably beautiful metaphor for how true spiritual growth occurs in the life of a Christian. And it's the, that of a vine and a branch. And he, gives, he tells us, the, he explains the metaphor to us. He says, the vine dresser, the gardener, is the father. Now what does a vine dresser or a gardener do? Well, the gardener waters the vine, a gardener prepares the soil, a gardener positions the vine in the sunlight, watches over the vine, shapes the vine, prunes the branches so that the vine can produce more fruit. The vine dresser, the gardener, their primary job is to look over and care for the vine. Now, who's the vine and what's the vine? It's Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And what's the vine? The vine is what roots the plant into the soil. It, the vine is what absorbs the nutrients and the sunlight and then pushes that life into the branches. Well, then what's a branch? A branch is you and me. And the branch bears the fruit that the vine produces. Remember, the gardener looks over the vine, the vine absorbs the life and pushes life into the branch. And the branch simply connects to the vine and absorbs and bears what the vine produces. Now, what is the fruit? Fruit is what God produces through the work of Jesus in you and through you. 
Fruit, in this metaphor, is spiritual growth. We all want to grow spiritually, I hope. It's why you're here this morning. I mean, it's why you made New Year's resolutions, why you have a Bible reading plan this year, or whatever. We want spiritual growth. We should hunger for it. And fruit is spiritual growth. It's spiritual maturity. It's greater knowledge of God. It's greater experience of God. It's greater desire for God. It's greater love for God and for others. Spiritual fruit is greater joy. It's greater peace. It's more patience. It's more kindness. It's more self-control. In, in short, fruit is a transformed life. That's what fruit is. And true spiritual fruit or true spiritual transformation only comes through connection to Jesus. And Jesus says the purpose of all of this is that you, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Isn't that what you want? The joy of Christ in your life? That's what we want. And this is a beautiful image to have in our minds. This idea that the Father, that God the Father, is working through Jesus to accomplish something in you that has real juice to it. You're like, what is God's purpose for my life? What is God's will for my life? It is for God to work through Jesus to produce something in you that is nourishing to the world. That is God's will for your life. But I think often we settle for artificial fruit, don't we? We settle we would rather settle for the appearance of fruit than the actual the actual juice. Juicy fruit, not the gum, but like a juicy peach that God wants to produce in you. We settle for fruit that is generated or manufactured through other means besides intimacy or friendship and abiding with Jesus. So my mother-in-law she is a, she, hospitality is her spiritual gift. I mean, she's amazing at it. And she loves to have people over and she loves to host people and she loves to set the dinner table and put the, the centerpieces on the table and all that sort of stuff. And she has a basket of fruit on her dining room table. And it's all fake. But it looks so real. It's like Pier 1 Imports. Like, this is high quality fake fruit, okay? This is the best fake fruit. And these apples have fooled many a grandchild and maybe even son-in-laws. So my mother-in-law, what she has to do is in the big bowl that she has, she has to place the apples just right to hide the teeth marks. <laughs> to distract the guests from the truth that the fruit only appears to be real. And I love Jesus' metaphor about spiritual fruit, but, and it's encouraging that God can work through Christ to produce something in us, but it also is a word of warning. Jesus is saying that there are many people that have the appearance of a transformed life, but if you took a bite of them, you would get a mouthful of styrofoam. And Jesus actually used a similar analogy when, with the religious leaders of his day when he told them that they were like whitewashed tombs. Beautiful and ornate and put together on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. And I think there are two ways that we can produce artificial fruit in our lives rather than the real thing. Or two ways that we can give the appearance of having real transformation, but not having real transformation on the inside. The first way that we do this, we produce artificial fruit, is we attach ourselves to the wrong vines. This is very common in New York. Many people move here with big dreams and massive hopes with a vision for the type of fruit they want their life to produce. 
And many of us, we believe that if we attach ourselves to the right vine, then the power of that vine will flow through us and produce meaning and joy and peace in our lives. So we think, if I can just attach myself to the right company, if I can attach myself to the right neighborhood, if I can attach myself to the vine of success or recognition, if I can attach myself to the right grad program, it will produce in me the transformation and affirmation that I need. Some of us say, well, if I attach myself to this social group or this class of people, if I attach myself to the vine of family or marriage or children, it will produce in my life all that I need for joy and all that I, and it will give me all that I desire. Or we think if I can attach myself to the vine of control or comfort or independence, then I will experience the joy of life. If I can attach myself to the vine of politics or national or ethnic identity, whatever that is, then if I can just attach myself to those things, out of that something will flow through me and I will have meaning and value. There are all sorts of vines in this city that, produce, that promise us that if we abide in them, we will bear the fruit that we long to produce. And we will experience the transformation that we desire. But we should know by now that these are empty promises. I wanted it to be like, show of hands for anybody who's over 40 that can say, yes, that's true. Just so that the younger ones of us can, can, can believe that. Over 40, is this true? <laughs> the vines of success, work, career, all that stuff, it, it is, those are good things, but they cannot produce in you the transformation and the affirmation that you think you need for a good life. And I'm 34, and so I still, ha- I've learned this and then I forget it. I learned this and I forget it. I learned this and I forget it. And I need Jesus to say, don't attach yourself to vines that can't produce real fruit. But also, we attach ourselves, and I think Jesus is speaking of this often in the Gospels. We can attach ourselves to the vine, not of work and success and worldly things, but we can often attach ourselves to the vine of performance-based religion. And here's what I mean by that. Many of us understand religion, or many people understand religion like this. God gives a standard. Your goal is to live up to that standard, and if you do it well enough... God will like you. And as a reward, He'll give you eternal life. In other words, performance-based religion is if I bear enough fruit, then God will abide in me. It is a complete reversal of the gospel of Jesus. And it looks spiritual, and it sounds spiritual, and it feels spiritual, but it is the exact opposite of the gospel of Christ. And the problem with performance-based religion is that it gives the appearance of spiritual fruit, but the results are anything but fruitful. The fruit of performance-based religion is not life, but it's pride, despair, resentment, and burnout. And here's here's how I know this. If, if If you try to attach your vine to, or attach your branch to the vine of religion, Performance-based religion. Here's what will happen. You might do really well in that religion. 
You might live up to all the standards. You might wear the right thing, like the right kind of music, you know, vote the right certain type of way, read the right kind of Bible translation, and obey the rules and say all the right things, and you'll get pats on the back from the right people. And you know what it'll lead to? Not spiritual fruit, not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, but pride and arrogance. This is why Jesus had such a hard time with the Pharisees of his day. They did everything that his father asked them to do, but they didn't love his father. And he was like, you guys are whitewashed tombs. And it didn't, it, hasn't, it didn't produce love, but it produced arrogance. And when we attach ourselves to the vine of religion and we do well, we'll become religious, arrogant, prideful jerks. And there are very few things in this world that are less attractive and more hurtful than an arrogant religious person. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. So performance-based religion... If you do well, you'll have pride and arrogance. You don't want that. But on the flip side, when you struggle, and you will struggle if you try to live your life according to performance-based religion, when you don't live up to the standard, you'll feel like a failure. You'll feel like God is disgusted with you. You'll feel despair that you cannot live up to God's standard. And you will grow to resent God. You'll grow to resent yourself. You'll grow to resent the people who seem to be doing it better than you. And you will lose hope and you will experience burnout. And you will either hide from God or you'll completely run away from Him. And you'll live in shame. And Jesus warns us, and many of us, if you, atta- if you try to attach yourself to the vine of religion, you will just swing from pride and arrogance on one side and despair and resentment on the other. And you'll never experience the abundant life that Jesus talks about. And Jesus warns us, do not attach yourself to the vine of performance-based religion because the fruit of that is exhaustion, not abundant life. Second Second thing that I think often produces artificial fruit in us is that we confuse fruit for the vine. Many of us get confused, and we, many of us think that if we can begin to attach ourselves to things that look like spiritual fruit, then it means we're attached to something that's going to give us life, and we'll have life. So instead of, we make, so what we do is we make producing spiritual fruit our goal, rather than actually being connected to the vine as our goal. And here's what I, I meant to do, like a, I should have brought like a visual for you, but imagine an apple, and then you take a branch, and you just stick it in the apple. And then you expect that branch to bear fruit. It's not going to happen. Because the fruit is the result of abiding in Jesus. You don't get abiding in Jesus as a result from the fruit. And many of us stick our branches in spiritual things and hope that it will produce something in us. And we, we do spiritual stuff apart from the work and the power of Jesus. And you, some of us will attach ourselves to Bible study. I love Bible study. Like I give my life to studying the Bible and teaching. It's like my favorite thing in the world. But if I attach myself, my branch, to studying the Bible, thinking that that will make me better, then I've deceived myself. Jesus scalded the Pharisees. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it's the Scriptures that bear witness to me. Yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. You can master the Bible but miss the one whom the Bible points. Another way we can do this is we can attach ourselves to worship experiences, to feelings, emotions, to mission trips. And we think that if we're doing all the right things, then we're good with God. 
But what we're doing is we're looking to extract life from worship experiences and not from Jesus himself. And here's what often happens. I've experienced this in my own life. I hear many of you explain this to me. You feel like a balloon, don't you? Sometimes, spiritually. Not like a helium wind that lifts and lifts and lifts and lifts, but like the kind with just like regular air in it. And you're like, I come to church, and pow, I get popped up. And then I start falling, 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 and I'm like, oh, I need to go to church again so I can get popped up again. Pop! And then I come up, and then I start falling, falling, falling. Oh, I need to go to a conference where there's big worship. I need to go to like a Christian concert. Pow! Pop, 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 pop. Then I'm flying away. Oh, I re- you know, I need the new Bible study that's coming out. That I got to do. Pop, pop, pop. And you are, you are banking your spiritual vitality on spiritual experiences. When Jesus offers you something far better, he offers you himself. And when you have him, then those worship experiences are overflow of what a life with him is, rather than things you're trying to make them do things that they're not designed to do. Worship experiences are are for you to worship Jesus, not so that they can make you more dear to Jesus. I love in Matthew 7, Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, He says, on the last day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, Jesus says, yes, but I never knew you. Depart from me. Then the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love for God, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Did you hear what Paul and Jesus both just said? They said that there are people that have cast out demons who have prophesied and performed miracles to which Jesus says he'll say, yes, but I never knew you. You did all these like apple fruity looking things, but your fruit wasn't connected to the vine. Paul says, prophetic powers, speaking in tongues of angels, that's impressive. That's some impressive preaching right there. Paul says, if I understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, what he's saying is if I have the best theology in the world, have it all right, if I have the faith to move mountains, if I give away all that I have and deliver my body to be burned, that is an unbelievable image of generosity right there. Offering plate, going around, people are putting their little measly checks in the bucket, dude pulls out a Zippo, lights himself on fire. That's an offering. That's committed. But without love and friendship with Jesus, Paul says, that means nothing. You're just a branch trying to attach yourself to a piece of fruit. And the fruit will die and the branch will die if that happens. And Jesus says that there are many who will show me all their spiritual stuff. All the stuff they did, all the books they read, all the conferences they went to. He says, but I'm going to say to you them, but I don't know you. Like, what does God want from you? Do you think it's that he wants your religious performance? He wants you. He didn't die for your performance. He didn't die because one day you might be awesome enough for him to like you. He died because he values you. 
And the point of this passage for us to consider is not what... Uh, the point of this passage is for us to consider what God can do in us rather than what we can do for Him. And when we consider that, then what ha- the Scriptures say happens, when we abide in Him, then He produces fruit in our lives. And this abiding in Christ, that's how we produce spiritual fruit. So the question is, how, does, how, does, how do we produce spiritual fruit in our lives? The answer is, Jesus says, abide in Him. And you're like, what does that mean? I think verse 9 of this passage gives us a clue. This, uh, this is a verse that ought to move us to complete, like, total worship. John 15, verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Like, it would take a hundred lifetimes to unpack the glory of that statement. Like, as the Father loves the Son. How, have you read the Gospels? Like, have you seen how much the Father loves Jesus? That's a relationship that has existed for all eternity. Like, that is a relationship that has existed and existed and existed. It has no start and it has no end. That is a deep, deep, infinite love. It's a perfect love. The Father says over Jesus at His baptism, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. John 3.35 says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. All things. And Jesus says, my love for you and you and you, my love for you is the same in every way as my Father's love for me. Like, if you're like, man, I'm just kind of in a dry spot right now. Like, I just feel like I'm not getting a lot of God. Meditate on that verse all week. And come back next week and tell me if God hasn't stirred something in you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, Jesus says. And when you think about the very moment that Jesus speaks these words to his disciples, that even becomes even more baffling. It's just crazy. Like, this is John chapter 15. In John chapter 13, which is part of the same dinner conversation, so this is probably like a few minutes prior, like a few minutes before Jesus said, as the Father's loved me, so I've loved you, abide in my love. Just a few minutes earlier, in the same dinner conversation, Jesus said, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. One of you guys is going to turn me over to the authorities to be executed, and to be killed. And literally, Judas, after Jesus said that, he slipped out. And Jesus said, you go do what you need to do. And so literally, as Jesus speaks the words, as my Father has loved me, so I love you. As Jesus is speaking those words, Judas is walking over to go betray Jesus. And then right after that, Jesus says to Peter, he says, you're going to deny me. In my moment of greatest need, you are going, you my friend, are going to reject me. And Peter's like, oh no, 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 I'm not going to do that. He's like, yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. And Peter ensures him that he won't, but Jesus knows. Jesus in this moment knows that these are men that will, even though they love him, they're going to abandon him in just a few short moments when Jesus is being executed. And yet, knowing all of that and feeling the sting of it, Jesus still speaks over them. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
I was interacting with a Christian counselor recently. And he said that one of the questions he asks all the people that he counsels, just to get a feel for sort of where they are spiritually and how they understand God, he asks them, how do you think God feels about you? What do you think the answer most people say is? He said that most people, their answer is, God feels disappointed in me. And the way we think God feels about us will have a direct effect on how we grow as a Christian and what the actual fruit of our lives will be. One author writes, Think for a moment about how Christ following develops if you assume that God looks at you with disgust, disappointment, frustration, or anger. The central feature of any spiritual response to such a God will be an effort to earn His approval. And far from daring to abide in His presence, you will be vigilant to perform as well as you possibly can. The motive for any obedience you might offer will be fear rather than love, and there will be little genuine surrender. You must feel safe before you can abide. And how could anyone ever expect to feel safe enough to abide in the presence of a God who is preoccupied with their shortcomings and their failures? Let me ask you, how much more joy and peace would you have if you really believed that God treasures you? How much more joy and peace would you have if you really believed that He prizes you? Think of the difference that that would make in your life. If you really believe that God values you, it would overcome every fear. It would overcome every suspicion you have about God's trustworthiness. You'd be able to, abide, you'd be able to submit to Him, obey Him. You would trust in Him. If you really believe that God values you and wants the best for your life, you would never hesitate to come to Him in prayer. You would never hesitate to confess your sins to God or even come to God when you fail miserably. In verse 2 of this passage, it says that Jesus, Jesus says that the vine dresser, the gardener, will prune healthy branches so that they can bear fruit. In other words, sometimes God will orchestrate situations in your life that are intensely painful. He will withhold things from you or He will remove things from your life that are painful. But they will result in a greater growth in your life. And if you don't first believe and know that God loves you and values you, you will doubt Him in these times of pruning. You'll think that He's destroying you, but in fact, He's making you more beautiful. And He's producing more fruit in you. What difference would it make if you really believed that God treasures you? Many of us, the reason we don't bear fruit like we desire is because we don't abide in the truth that God values us. Instead, we choose to abide in our shame. Now, what does the word abide mean? There's many ways you can translate it, but one way that many people often translate it is to abide in something is to make your home in it. Like, when I get, when I get done with church, talking with everybody, I'm going to take my kids home, or I'm going to make a pot of coffee, I'm going to put the kids in their rooms for room time, and tablet, don't judge, I don't care, it's Sunday afternoon, I've worked hard today, and then what am I going to do? I'm just going to abide in my home. I'm going to abide. I'm going to make my home. And listen, all of us have a family of origin, right? We're, we are all, every one of you, are a product of the home or the homes that you grew up in. You didn't have to do anything to pick up pers- certain personality traits. You just absorb those things by very nature of living in that home. Same is true of our spiritual lives. When we abide or make our home in something, it affects who we will become. When we abide in our shame, 
that shapes who we become and how we feel about ourselves and how we view God. When we make our home in our disappointment or our sin or our performance-based religion or whatever vines we're trying to attach ourselves to, it shapes who we will become. But when we make our home in the love of God, we'll bear fruit, real spiritual fruit. One of my mentors, one of my seminary professors was sharing a story with me. He, he was a pastor for several years before becoming a seminary professor. And he went back, the, one of the churches he pastored like 30 years prior had like a homecoming. And so he goes and he's preaching at the homecoming service. And while he's preaching, he notices a man in the crowd. And he remembered him from like 30 years earlier. And he's like, oh, I remember that guy. That guy was the neighborhood drunk. And never would, would have come to church 30 years ago. He always stood outside begging and, you know, stumbling around. But he said, as I was preaching and as I was watching during the service, he said, this guy was singing loudly and he was taking notes in the sermons and he was just smiling and greeting people and you could tell that there was a transformation in his life. He looked sober. He looked well put together. And after the service was over, my my mentor walks over to him and says, I think I remember you. Aren't you... Yeah. What happened? And the man said to him, he said, well, I came to faith in Christ 10 years ago at the age of 60. And he said, and as you know, preacher, he said, before that, I spent most of my life addicted to all sorts of substances. I was in and out of jail, several failed marriages. And he said to him, he said, look, I have no one to blame but myself. I made the poor choices. He says, but when I look back on my childhood, And when I look back on the home that I grew up in, all my father ever said to me was, you can't do anything right. You're just downright dumb. You are destined to be a failure. And he said, I guess I just became what my daddy said I would be. He said, but 10 years ago, I got a new daddy. And he said, I have a new home in the family of God. And as I've made my home in this home, and as I've abided in the words of my new father, who says, this is, I'm his beloved child with whom I'm, his, he's well pleased. He says, as I have not stopped abiding in the words of my earthly father and started abiding in the words of my heavenly father, he said, he has produced spiritual fruit in my life beyond measure. See, abiding in Jesus is this. It's to make your home in his love. Not in false vines, whether worldly or religious vines. Abiding in Jesus is to believe and trust that what He says about you is truer than what you feel about yourself. Abiding in Jesus is resting in and making your home in the gospel. And when you are tempted to think that God does not love you, where should you make your home? In the cross. When you think, God could never love me, abide in the cross where Jesus demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. And you go, okay, yeah, yeah, I believe the cross that Jesus forgave me, but you know, God can't produce any real fruit in my life because I've got too many mistakes. I'm just me. I don't have much. There's not much going on with me. He can't do anything with me and through me. When you think that God is not powerful enough to produce fruit in your life, abide in the resurrection where He produced life and victory out of death and defeat. You see, the primary goal of the Christian life is not to bear as much fruit as possible and to look as awesome as you possibly can. It's to abide in Jesus. 
And the fruit is a byproduct of a life with Him. That's why we observe communion every week. It's to take a moment for us to be silent before God and week by week come and attach ourselves to the vine that gives life and fruit. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come and receive the body and the blood of Christ. And as you do that, Jesus says, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember the new covenant. That that you are reconciled to God, not because of your obedience, but because of mine. And you receive the body and the blood. You consume it into yourself, believing that that I've done everything necessary for you to be reconciled to God. And I am the one that will bear fruit in your life. So in a moment when you come, you take those elements, believing that if you connect yourself to Christ, that He will produce in you the life that you want. The life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Let's pray.